Hello, and welcome to Priority Status by JPR. I'm Kristen Mahler, Senior Vice President of our Toronto office. In today's episode, I connect with Val Upfold, Executive Recruiter and HR Consultant specializing in the hospitality industry and based here in Toronto. As a former sommelier and HR director, Val now specializes in high-level executive recruitment for some of the city's hottest hospitality brands, and she's focused on helping to shift workplace culture across the hospitality industry. We've seen an enormous disruption to typical work culture over the last two years. Office life was fundamentally altered by the pandemic, but the change has not stopped there. The hospitality industry, an industry that already was operating at max speed with small margins, has seen a seismic shift from navigating capacity challenges to evolving with changing consumer behaviors, all while dealing with rising food costs and labor challenges. Restaurants and hotels have been trying to deliver the same or better levels of service to their guests. The already grinding nature of the service industry has greatly impacted employees and how they perform. To remain sustainable, restaurants and hotels are needing to revamp their employee programs and HR approaches to be a more welcoming and collaborative environment. The culinary landscape in Toronto has been growing steadily over the last 10 years, gradually bringing the city's rising chefs and notable neighborhoods into the international spotlight and on the best places to eat lists of global publications. The famed Michelin Guide recently announced their first ever Canadian guide and focused on Toronto, awarding stars and recognition to 74 restaurants in the greater Toronto area. Listen in as Val shares her expertise and how typically old school organizations are catching up and implementing change to improve workplace culture in restaurants and hotels. So Val, maybe you could tell us, um, start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, I mean, I always worked in restaurants and hospitality throughout university, you know, the usual bartending, serving kind of stuff. And then I moved to Australia. And that's really where someone, I guess, noticed that I had some sort of love for the industry and asked if I consider getting into management. So I did manage there for a few years. And that's really where the bug took hold for me as far as the food and wine and the restaurant aspects. Sydney at the time was pretty cool and had lots of cool things going on. So I really caught the bug and also being so close to the wine industry. And then moving back to Canada, I sort of had my eyes set on canoe and didn't think I'd I'd ever get there. But about a year back in, I was working at a, a hotel and there was a posting. I applied to canoe, got the job and worked there and ended up working for the, the larger company for 15 years. So five at canoe as a manager and sommelier and then moving into HR for 10 years after that and really growing the department from basically three restaurants to about 15 and from a a team of just me to about a team of about six in HR. Um, So that was 10 years. And then, sorry, that was 10 years at HR, 10 years. In the last 10 years, I've been doing executive recruiting in hospitality. In the last year, I've just been on my own doing that. Wow, that's a really incredible trajectory that you had. And and I think, you know, female Psalms are so rare. I mean, what was it like working in that role and at Canoe? It was such an amazing restaurant in Toronto. Yeah, it was a super fun time. I was there sort of at the beginning when, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, when the scene in Toronto was really starting to take off then. Um, So I actually got became a SOM when I was working as a manager at Canoe. It was sort of a dream to work there. And my wine knowledge probably wasn't where it should have been at to get a job at such a great restaurant. So I started taking some wine courses and there was one instructor that 
noticed I had or recognized I had a good nose and suggested I continue on with my education. So I did um, many years. It was, I always tell people it was much harder than any university degree I did. But I think as far as being a female SOM, I think it's probably more recognized now. There's a lot more of them now, but I'm sure this still happens where guests wouldn't necessarily believe me when they asked to speak to a sommelier and I would say it would be me. I was a young female or they would question, I'd tell them something and they'd question that I knew what I was talking about or try and contradict what I was saying a little bit more probably than it happened to a male sommelier. By that point with the staff, I had already sort of proven, you know, my knowledge, my experience, my mettle, so to speak, so that they, they put their trust in me. It was just the guests that took a bit longer to win over probably. Yeah, I could see how that could be just something really unexpected for a guest to come into a restaurant and, and not think that they would have a female sommelier give them advice on which wines to pair with their dinner. But I'm sure that it gave you a lot more confidence as you grew and, and um, were able to share your knowledge with the customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it that's all it was. It's just like educating, yeah, educating the guests as well so that they don't have this sort of antiquated notion that it is a a male dominated industry, which it is. But there was even those questions just as a, you know, a restaurant manager. It's not just the sommeliers, but mm-hmm. it was just educating the guests on, you know, that there are lots of females in that world too. And I think it's the higher levels that there's less, there's less females that make that as a career. Sure. So there was obviously some really great news that was announced with the Michelin Guide coming to Toronto just this fall. And some really great restaurants obviously were noted on that. The industry here in Toronto has been growing so fast over the last several years. How do you think that the new announcement of the guide will affect the restaurant industry in the city? Well, I can tell you it was a really fun night. I was there and it was very special. I think we all felt energy in the room, energy that night. As far as how it affects it, I think that it's given more credibility, I guess, to Toronto restaurants or to Canadian restaurants on a whole. When we, you know, working in the higher end of restaurants in Toronto, when we would have chefs or cooks that we wanted to continue their training and help them grow, we'd have to send them, we'd send them to Michelin restaurants in generally in Europe. Um, So now the opportunity is perhaps that'll come the other way as well, that now people will be sending their cooks to Toronto to, you know, stage at Michelin star restaurants here training, or we can keep those people now within Canada. If they want to go to Michelin, they can come to Toronto or or Vancouver and and stage at those restaurants. I think the other thing that's interesting to note is that when I've worked as a recruiter um, with international restaurant companies coming into Canada, primarily from the U.S. or from England, and there was always a, you know, well, we don't, we hire Michelin star chefs at our restaurants, but you don't have any Michelin star chefs there. So who are you going to present to me? So I think that will also be an added bonus to for us here is now we have that sort of, I mean, whatever it is, clout or recognition that there are those, even though we knew we had chefs at that caliber, this will give people that maybe aren't as familiar with our restaurant scene that we are competitive with the best restaurants in the world. Do you feel like it was a little bit too like a long time coming for here? I feel like the restaurant scene in Toronto has been so widely acclaimed for so long. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been something that we've been trying to get them to come here for years. In fact, it it started before the pandemic. So maybe it would have happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. Even that was a, a bit far out. But I think that I mean, it's a small population. We don't have the same sort of numbers of restaurants or number of people. So we knew it was going to take more time. But yeah, like I said, we I think 
we all knew there were great chefs and great restaurants here. And for whatever reason, it just took them longer to get here. And so you said that you were at the the announcement party that night. And so how was it? Was it just like a real vibe? I feel like the city has really come alive in the last several months. So that must have been really fun. Yeah, it was so fun. And it was because I've, I've been around, I've been in the restaurant industry for a long time in Toronto. And so a lot of these people that got the Michelin stars, I've known them since they were starting out as cooks in the industry or hired them as cooks in some of the OMB restaurants. So it was really fun to see to see everyone get this recognition because we all know how hard chefs work, how hard restaurant people work. And so it was a nice, it was just a night to cap that all off. And there was, you're right, it was a total vibe. There was great energy in the room. Everyone was happy. Everyone was excited. They did a good job with the production. They made, they built it all up so that you could see, you know, everyone knew everybody and everyone's watching. So it was a really, a really, really special night. When you were there and celebrating, did you feel like, was anybody talking about some challenges that they're having right now? I mean, is, or did it feel like there was a lot more just to celebrate that evening in particular? Yeah, I think really it was, people were just focused on that. People were talking and that was another cool thing about it. Everyone that was there is clearly into some way into restaurants or food and wine. So we, it was a positive. I mean, certainly there are a ton of challenges right now in hospitality, but that night was really about the restaurant scene. It was about food and wine and everyone communicating about that sort of stuff. That's great. What are you seeing right now in terms of your clients that are coming to you and looking for a new talent? Does it feel like there's similar challenges across the board or what sort of are you looking at and what are the things that you're challenged with and placing new talent? I think the number one thing is, and we've heard it, I mean, it's been worldwide, is that the staffing shortage is really been extra difficult for restaurants. I mean, it's we're hearing about it across all industries across the world, but hospitality, certainly restaurants, hotels are even struggling even more because basically there was a shutdown for two and a half years. So people left for a few reasons why the search people left in droves at all levels. You know, we hear in the media a lot about restaurants closing extra days, shorting their hours because there's not enough hourly cooks or servers. But it's at all levels of the industry. I mean, straight up to C-suite during COVID, you know, I'd be speaking to, for example, I don't know, chief marketing officers of big hotel chains that left because during COVID, all their staff was let go. And now they're back to doing the same work they were doing 20 years ago. So there's holes everywhere. And on top of that, if we're talking about the culinary side of it, that was already the hardest thing to fill. That was already the hardest roles to find people. And so that's only become worse since the pandemic. So there's a bunch of reasons why, you know, culinary, I think it was a glamorized industry for a while when the food network took hold. And so a lot of people went into culinary school. Once they get in, they realize it's actually a lot of hard work and they're not going to be, you know, superstar chefs within the first couple of years. People started leaving, chefs started opening their own restaurants, fine dining was kind of getting out. People were more just of the cool, more laid back vibes. So they left. So that pushed people out. So it's just, there's a whole bunch of things all paired together that have really, that's the number one thing on on everyone's mind, I guess, is, you know, and as restaurants continue to open too, there's lots of restaurant openings this year, next year, and where is the staff coming from? So that certainly is the number one crisis or worry on everybody's mind, I would say. It's interesting that you mentioned holes at every level and like now it's just exacerbated because of the pandemic and because of 
changes in work and the economy that that forced. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like has been something that the restaurant industry has been able to do better now that, you know, you're sort of starting with a new perspective at this point in time? Is there anything that you notice is more positive that to come out of this? Yeah, it's really made, I mean, restaurants, I think have always been behind in a lot of areas of employment or worker health and safety or a bunch of things. Restaurants, for whatever reason, have been been behind. And I think an interesting thing that came out of this, and it was apparent from the very beginning, is that when we first had to do the initial layoffs, the restaurants that really came out of it better as far as staff retention were the ones that already had really good HR practices, were the ones that were already, you know, talking to their staff about their growth or offering benefits or having an inclusive, diverse work environment. They were the ones that actually came out of it better. They had more people that came back to them after the layoffs. They had more people stick around and help them through pivoting through whatever industry or whatever ways the restaurants moved. So I think that the people that didn't have those things perhaps noticed that. And we have seen that there is a lot more emphasis on people thinking outside the box as to what restaurants or hospitality can do differently. And it may just be things that other industries have been doing all along, like offering flex time, offering some work from home when it's possible, having work share programs. I mean, benefits are very, very common in most industries, but there are lots and lots of restaurants that don't offer benefits. So just basic stuff like that, I think people have started to realize there's no one out there to recruit. So we're going to have to retain who we have. So what can we do to retain who, who we have and also make it more attractive to get people in? There's been lots of positive things in that way that have come that did come out of COVID. It's so interesting that you say that because I feel like restaurants, You sometimes a lot of people think about restaurant staff and people who work in restaurants, I guess, mostly front of house being very transient. Like it's not always going to be their career. It's something that maybe people do between jobs or they're doing while they're in school. In a big city like Toronto or New York or Chicago, where you have so many high-end hotels, so many high-end restaurants and high caliber of dining experiences where you do have career wait staff, you do have career front of house staff, you do have career sommeliers and F&B directors. And it's interesting now that maybe some of these restaurants who already were thinking ahead in terms of how do they keep and retain talent by doing some of these other programs and other ways to keep people fared better. I would love to know if you've seen something like that you've never seen before in terms of hiring and talent retention in the industry. Yeah. And it's also an interesting thing related to that Michelin star thing. When you mentioned that, you know, it's never been a, or it hasn't been thought of a viable career perhaps, or, or one that people aspire to, to, to be as a career. And it was more transient stuff. One of the main differences, why that is different in Europe, for example, is that it has always been a career and perhaps part of that is to do with the Michelin star stuff. So I think that that's a bonus that will come out of that is that being a career server was always a good career in, in Europe and because the restaurant culture is so strong there. So it's little steps like this Michelin thing that will get us to have this sort of, you know, stronger restaurant culture, I guess, in North America. And then as far as things that we're seeing now in hiring for hospitality that we haven't seen before, 
we've actually never seen a market like this. There's, you know, I would say, and this is just my own anecdotal sort of evidences to offers that I've had gone through, but I would say that salary increases are between 15 to 18% over the last six months, um, which is a massive jump. Whether that's sustainable enough for operators, we'll have to see. But that's what's happening right now is because people need people. So they're increasing what they're paying by a long shot. Bidding wars is something we haven't seen either. Um, you know, I literally am saying to my clients, come to me with your best offer because you've had one chance. So it's sort of like the housing bidding war that's happening now with, you know, th- this is obviously the the great people that are out there, people that are, you know, doing a great job or great in their careers, but they will often now get more than one offer. They'll often get more than two offers and they happen at the same time. That's something that we haven't seen before. Everything's happening quicker. You know, people used to take their time in hiring, but now things, so everything's just sped up. People can't wait around to make offers. Even, you know, it was during, I guess it was last year where people were making, had job offer letters on the spot after an interview to give to people because there was there's such a push and there's nobody out there. So there's been a lot of changes actually that have happened in the last, especially this year, since probably whenever our last lockdown was done, February, probably since about February, March, things have really gone crazy. Are you seeing a lot more uh, restaurants in the city changing their structure to be inclusive of, of gratuity. I, I went to a restaurant last week and I was surprised when my server told me that they were a gratuity inclusive restaurant. I wasn't expecting that. And I was just curious, do you think that that has anything to do with the changes in talent retention and how businesses are, are looking at compensating their employees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been reading a lot about it in the US. I, we haven't seen it that much here other than like tables of eight or more, which has been around forever. But I think that is something that people are talking about now, because it's not just that people have to pay their employees more, people are paying for everything more. So restaurant operators are having to increase prices all around. I read an article yesterday actually saying, well, we can either increase at 15%. And sorry, where you went, was that also the gratuity? Did you tip on top of that? Or did they just call it a service charge? And then you had a tip as well, because there's, I've seen both of them. We went to Richmond Station and it was actually included in the price. We did tip on top of it because the service was actually really, really great and wonderful. But I wasn't, I didn't know that it was noted anywhere before we got to the restaurant and our server told us that it was included. And it, was, it wasn't a big party. It was just myself and my husband. So I was just really surprised. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people talking about the differences in wages between front and back of house. And there are some restaurants that are trying to sort of fix that change. And that's one way that they're doing it because obviously the front of house, the servers were getting massive gratuities and the cooks weren't getting anything. So mm-hmm. I think some of those come, so now if they have a service charge, they're able to split it equally between their staff. Yeah. But there are some, there's pros and cons to all of that. There's, I was just reading something again. It's funny that you're asking about this yesterday about service charges being, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, but taxed differently, or they don't have to do the same sort of thing if it's called a service charge on the bill, as opposed to someone leaving a grad at the end. So there's a whole bunch of things that are all sort of out there yeah. moving around. So people are trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. Cause I know that taxes are, they're just different in Ontario. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of it, I mean, there's been a lot of talk over the years about this, you know, getting rid of gratuities altogether or figuring out how you can make it equal between front and back. And that's how a lot of, com- a lot of restaurants are thinking about doing it is adding it. And then they are the ones to split it up. So the server 
no, it's not the server that just gets it, but the managers, the owners or whatever are splitting it up after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the change in restaurants here and how some are looking at how to compensate their employees maybe differently in a different pay structure, including gratuity and the, and the cost, or obviously just increasing the, the offerings, the wage offerings up front, because there is such uh, a need for talent and the want and the, the need to have team members join at every level. How are you seeing um, maybe some of your clients looking at the shift in their culture overall, not only in compensating their employees, but offering other perks. So are you seeing them besides when they can work from home, work from home op- opportunities, obviously that's not front of house or back of house, but are they offering any other perks to their team members? Yeah. So I think that's probably part of the reason why this gratuity thing is coming about because restaurants are, you know, have really tight profit margins to begin with. And now they're having to pay more for everything from, you know, their produce to their meat, to their electricity, to their staff. So that's one way they're trying to do it. And because the labor market is short, there has to be a way you pay more, but you don't want to pay more because you can't afford to pay more. So that's one way to do it. But this is the other things I've been talking about with my clients is that, okay, so maybe the restaurant or hospitality industry can't compete on wages or salaries, But restaurants, again, this is a generalization, but I think it's like a creative sort of industry. And so use that creativity. Think of new ways to do it or new ways to appeal to the labor market out there. I think that's a lot of the big thing that people are doing right now are because of this whole retention thing, is that something that it doesn't cost money? So you're people are sitting down more often with their employees, figuring out what they want to be doing next helping them get there, you know, helping them with education or courses they can take. There's lots of free courses out there. A lot of restaurant or small one-off, even small one-off restaurants or two restaurants are having someone that has some sort of HR title. So they're focusing on making sure that employees are engaged, making sure they're offering development paths for them, keeping people challenged, things like mentor and buddy systems where you know, again, that's not going to cost money, but new people are starting. You're going to keep them around longer because you pair them with someone on day one. They can go to ask questions too. You know, that whole sense of belonging is something that we all missed over the last two and a half years. And restaurants have a really good opportunity to give that belonging back to their staff because it is a, it's a social environment. There's lots of people around. So it's just the good ones are like grabbing onto those things and keep building on them and making sure that people get that they're part of something bigger and it's it's a fun place to be and it's just I think the main thing they can do is the growth part is the I mean we spoke of this before it's, it's ridiculous that not everyone has benefits but they don't but more people are, are trying to do benefits or different sorts of ideas where you know restaurants also aren't great at breaks but more people are doing okay you go off to the gym in the afternoon now that's not only going to give you a break that's also going to help with your mental health and so I think people are just thinking about things differently and because maybe they can't pay more, but there's other ways they can go about doing it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned mental health and I think that obviously working in the restaurant industry and being around so much alcohol is sort of a trigger for some people. And I think that there's certainly a piece of the industry that has been challenged. People have been challenged with substance abuse and hospitality and mental health is certainly a way to sort of step into that and help people deal with it before um, it becomes a problem. Obviously, you know, you want to enjoy enjoy the people you work with and enjoy your work, 
Um, but sometimes it can be overwhelming. Do you think that you've seen this in some of the organizations you're working with and a shift to prioritizing mental health from the beginning before it becomes a challenge for some employees? Uh, Yeah, it's been a really, really big topic over the last while. I just was talking to some people about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and there's something like a not-for-profit called Not 9 to 5 that's really prioritizing mental health in restaurants. And they discovered that 90% of people that work in restaurants, this was in 2019, so this is even before the pandemic where, you know, mental illness across the board in all industries, but in 2019, that 90% of people that work in restaurants at some point have dealt with a substance abuse or depression somewhere. So it is one of the hardest hit industries for um, mental health and substance abuse. And I think, you know, that really wasn't spoken about when I first started working in restaurants many years ago, but certainly that is something now that's top of mind to people. And I think that is the main thing is that people are talking about it more. The industry recognizes that there's a problem and that you're right. It has to do with the availability of alcohol all around you. You people are working nights, late nights, weekends as a social environment, but there's an awareness of it. The new generation doesn't have any sort of stigma attached to it. It tends to be a, a younger industry. So younger people are getting into it and they don't have any problems speaking up about what mental illness they may have. So I think it's that's been a big breakthrough, I think, for our industry is that people are are talking about it, are recognizing that there are ways, simple ways to get around and making sure people are eating a healthy meal, making sure people get breaks, making sure that you're doing stretches at your pre-shift briefing. But I think that's the number one thing is that people are now talking about it, recognizing it, are comfortable speaking about it in the open. And it's something that's been a long time coming. There's tons more that we need to do, but it's a good step in the right direction. It certainly feels like it has evolved overall. I mean, just the general willingness of people to just express that they are having a problem and they do need help, I think is much more accepted now than ever across the board, not just solely in hospitality environments and and restaurants and hotels, but the healthy workplaces applies to everybody at this point in time. You know, when you, you say that these are steps that your restaurants are taking to make sure that their team members feel the best version of themselves. It feels like a long departure from when I worked in a restaurant over 20 years ago and what what the culture was like there. And again, not a Michelin-starred restaurant by any means, but you know, someplace that was producing excellent food and was busy and had a great clientele, but it wasn't just didn't work that way then. So I think it's also just up to the people. And like you said, it's a younger workforce so that they're also speaking up for themselves is, is really big. And I think that that will have to just shift the ownership and the management of these businesses to think a little bit differently. What do you think are some steps that you feel hospitality brands or they could take to make a healthier culture in their, in their workplaces, listening to their employees for one, but what are some other things that you feel like could be useful for them? The problem is, is a lot of these, when we read about these sorts of things in the media, they're usually big companies that they're speaking to and they do amazing things, but they cost a lot of money. And so I think it's important for us in hospitality restaurants to, for people to recognize that it doesn't have to be such a big thing. You can put in small steps to make sure that people are balancing. And I just did something today as well about this because we're getting, you know, we're about to head into our busiest season. And so it's going to be even more stressful for people. So now's the time to make sure that 
you are like, just like basic stuff, eating properly, making sure that they have time to sit down, making sure that everyone's getting together at some point. You know, some of my, my best clients will make sure even when it's super busy and everyone for sure has staff meals, but now's a time where they tend to get dropped because it's too busy making sure everyone sits down as a team. So you're building that sense of belongingness with the whole team. You're also having a meal to eat. They're not even big things. If you see someone struggling, making sure that you give them the night off. If you make giving people extra days here and there, it doesn't have to be these like big programs that we're reading about all the time. Sure. That would be great if everyone could do that, but even the, the training. So I spoke about this, not nine to five. And if we think about it back when you and I were serving there wasn't any of this talk, but you know, you didn't have to train people on health and safety really back then. You didn't have uh, training on accessibilities acts and well, smart sir, but safe food handling, all these things have come in over the last 20 years. So why don't we have that same sort of training that's legislated for mental health and wellness? If it's such a big thing, if it's legislated that you have to be trained to serve alcohol in smart serve, then it should also be legislated that everyone needs to take training on how to, you know, recognize and help with those sorts of issues. And I think, again, the better restaurants, if they're not doing an official structured training, they're at least speaking about that the first days that people start. Yeah. No, like you said, it doesn't often need to be big things. Yes. It, usually you hear in the media about major restaurant groups and what they're doing and big programs, but you're right. It, it really just comes down to management being in tune with their team and understanding what their needs are and how they can support their team members and make sure that they have a touch point and that they have the support from up above and, and all around them. And I realize everyone's different too. Just like if not one thing is going to fit everybody. Sitting down with your staff and talking to them what they need, because you may think they need to have a break that day, but maybe what they actually need is not to have a break. Maybe they just need to go for a, you know, a walk around the building for 10 minutes with a friend and talk. I, like there's, we can't just assume that everyone needs the same thing. And I think it's, that's like, to your point, it's just about communicating. And that has to start from the very first day that someone shows up to work when you're onboarding them so that they know that that's part of the culture there, that things are open, that your manager cares about you, that there's staff there that you can rely on, that sort of thing. Yeah. It ultimately always comes back to communication, doesn't it? It's if people just talk a little bit more, we would get things done faster. Exactly. <laughs> so looking ahead, we're about to come into a new year. I think everybody is really excited to put 2022 behind us in a lot of ways and feel like we're moving on into sort of the next phase post pandemic or whatever you want to call it. it. It feels like there's a big shift here, especially in Toronto in terms of the nightlife scene and restaurants and hospitality and new hotels opening and new restaurants opening. What do you predict for the labor pool for hospitality for next year? Or in, And what are some exciting things you're excited about in Toronto next year? I mean, as far as the hospitality labor pool, I think that they're saying we're not going to see any different. Unfortunately, that's not very good news, but there's still going to be a shortage quite a large shortage next year. Some positive things about that though, are that immigration is now opening up again. So where that was part also another thing, not only are people leaving the industry because it was shut down for so long, but also there was no one coming into Canada, new immigrants or students to be able to take over some of those jobs. So that's starting again, as well as actually starting tomorrow, it's kind of timely starting tomorrow that international students can work more than 20 hours a week starting tomorrow for the next 18 months. And that was a specific strategy or initiative by the government to help the hospitality industry with the labor shortage. 
So those two things will certainly help immigration and, and students that are already here being able to work more hours. That's a good thing. But I think, I mean, it's, it is an exciting time for Toronto and, and part of it has to do with the Michelin thing, but also to your point, it's been going on for years that Toronto's been on sort of culinary people's or the tourism radar as a cool city to visit. And there's still, I mean, there's, there's restaurants and hotels opening all the time. And so there's always new openings to look forward to. And yeah, I think it, it is exciting. And it's also going to be exciting to see how things switch or how things get changed up, like in regards to everything we're talking about as restaurants can to have to, you know, as they continue to think differently and outside the box and to see how the, you know, how things are going to shift and how the whole landscape will change. You know, I think what's impressed me so much in Toronto and since I've been here for just about three years coming from New York is just the diversity here. I feel like there is so much diversity in the restaurant scene. I mean, there's so many different great restaurants, so many different flavors. I I love that there's such a variety of, I mean, everything from Indian to French and Middle Eastern. I mean, I've had some amazing French food in the city, which is obviously, it's also our, our language here, second national language, but it just really surprised me at the depth of different cuisine that we have here. So it's really exciting, I think, for some of these openings that are coming up and some of the restaurants that are back in, in full force and doing cool things. What are some of your favorite places to go out to or um, some of the places that you feel like you were really excited to try? Because I've worked in restaurants so long, it's always a question again. And I think because I've been in restaurants on the higher end for so long, and I'm lucky enough to be able to eat out a lot, I find the restaurants that I like to go to are the the ones that are more casual. To be honest, like I would, I prefer to go to like the Ethiopian restaurant at the end of the street, or go to out for Thai or Malaysian or something, as opposed to going out. I mean, obviously, there's some amazing restaurants, and I will go on, you know, a special night, but. The ones that I tend to go to are Little Sister, which is like an Indonesian Dutch restaurant or Pie, which is a Northern Thai restaurant. Those sorts of, you know, the big flavors, the, because again, I, I mean, I worked, we worked, my husband and I both worked in this industry for so long so that when we're going to go out, we're going to go out to the, the smaller, more authentic, I guess. Yeah. No, I hear you. I always like to order things that I'm out that I wouldn't make at home. I think that that's part of the excitement about going out is to get something that you don't know how to make or you or you're not familiar with the sort of the flavors that go into it and how and how you can just experience that in a new way. So, you know, some of our listeners might be in the industry and they might be looking at a, possibly a new challenge for themselves, a new career path in 2023 and some brands also may be listening to and what might you say, what kind of words of wisdom might you say for someone might that might be looking for a new senior level position in hospitality or a company that might be looking to attract some senior level talent? What, what would you say to them? People just need to start looking at other industries as well, looking at things differently than we have before. So I think if people are trying to attract senior talent, and this is true across all industries, people will say, well, I only want, I need to have a, a vice president of marketing, but they can only come out of the hospitality industry, or they can only come out of that kind of stuff. People need to look outside just hospitality. If we know there's a labor shortage here, then I think it's important that people are looking to hire from other places. I know when Apple first came into the market here with the Apple stores, however long ago that was, 
they specifically went after restaurant managers and they did not want people that worked in retail. Or I worked with some grocery stores. They want people that come out of restaurants or hospitality because I think they understand hospitality and service and that can be translated across all industries. So I think for people that are looking for to get into this, they need just need to figure out what skills are transferable and sell it. And then the people that are looking to hire those positions need to look outside of just the mainstream places where they've hired and look at diversity, advertise in other spots, focus on what is good about the hospitality industry. Because I think the other problem is now is that you mentioned about people wanting to move into the hospitality industry from a senior level. Unfortunately, I think that's going to take a while to get back because of what's happened over the past two and a half years. So if employers want to continue to find those senior level people, then we have to get them excited to come back in. So that's, you know, that's when you need to focus on the perks that the hospitality industry can offer, whether that be, you know, more creativity, ability to do things more on your own, maybe less corporate, maybe off hours. They just have to think differently about how they're attracting or who they're attracting anyway. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the talent that you're really looking for. It's not necessarily having experience in the industry, but it's what are those qualifications or the other experiences that you have that layer in and complement what maybe other people already working in a restaurant or a hotel are doing. So if you have worked in retail or if you've worked in another industry and like, yes, there's certainly transferable skills. And I think that what I've noticed too is that when you are able to bring sort of that diversity of background to your role, um, no matter what it is, you're just a better part of the team because you can have other experiences to layer in, especially from a management perspective, because then you're able to look at how do you engage with your team and your employees in a way that keeps them motivated. And I think that that's like a number one thing for restaurants, right? You need to have a motivated staff. You need them to be excited about work because that's going to translate to their, their customer experience. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like bringing other people in brings in new ideas too. And if, like we spoke about earlier, if restaurants are further behind, that's a chance if people want to move into the hospitality, what kind of things can they bring that their knowledge that they can bring over? And right. There is so many transferable things. I just like working in a restaurant gives you every, actually every single skill you need for any job, you know? So there is transferable things. And I think that restaurants are able to bring in people like entry-level positions. That's not hard, but I think it's when you're talking about the senior thing, I think that that's people have to be more open about that because there are so many other industries that are doing similar things that we can actually learn from that are doing similar things, but have a more sophisticated way, so to speak, or they've had more money to be able to play with all these sorts of initiatives that larger companies can do. So they can bring that stuff in too. I think, I do think it's, that is happening more as there has been, you know, as there's a shortage here, people are getting a bit, you know, a bit more open-minded who they're going to hire. Yeah. It's funny because in our industry and PR and, and working with hotels, it often comes up like we wish that everybody could work in a hospitality environment before they do anything else, because it does teach you so much. It really does give you an insight on how to deal with people and how to engage with different people in different situations and scenarios and have to pivot very quickly. So it is really helpful for everybody to work in that industry. Obviously not everybody wants to and not everybody will, but um, we often find in in PR when we have team members that join us that have worked in a restaurant or a hotel, they get it that much faster. They really do understand 
the work that goes on on the operational side and we're just a better fit for our, our clients overall. So I'm all about crossing over during in industries and getting experience in a lot of different places. I think it helps to make a really well-rounded individual. Oh yeah, I agree. And the, the people, I mean, because you think about all the people skills you have to have if you work in restaurants or hotels, not only you're doing your day-to-day job, but you also have guests around you that are paying guests and you have to, yeah. So I, I do agree. There's, there are a lot of transferable skills that it doesn't have to be this, oh, you worked in restaurants. There's tons of cool stuff and great skills and attributes that come out of it. Yeah. Well, Val, it was so great to hear from you today and to talk about this amazing scene that's going on in Toronto right now and lots more exciting things happening in 2023. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners about your work or your predictions or some of the things you're excited about for culinary in 2023? I just think it's going to be a fun time. I think we've come out of a lot of crappy stuff. You can feel the energy in the city again. You can feel people going out. You can feel people are getting excited. Something's happening. You can feel it. That's I think that's what I'm excited about. I mean, I, I'm lucky that I get to work with lots of different hotel companies, restaurant groups, entertainment, that sort of stuff. And so I get to hear all sorts of things. But generally, there's a positive feeling in the city. The industry feels good. The busy season's coming up. We haven't had one in a couple of years. So I think 2023 is just going to continue to grow. Well, thanks again. Um, Really great talking with you today and look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks for having me on.